So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardawar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, we have a special treat for you guys. We have an interview with the creator of Tetris and uh, his good friend who helped bring it to the rest of the world. And we've also got a discussion around a few things, that AI development letter that uh, came down, uh, supposedly, from several tech leaders, certainly from Elon Musk, and a whole bunch of other news. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes and uh, drop us an email on podcast at Engadget.com. You can join us Thursday mornings on our YouTube channel around 10.30 a.m. Eastern for a live stream of the show. And you can see our faces, put some, you know, faces to the voices. We sometimes uh, show off gadgets and we often just talk to the chat room too. So if you want to grab some coffee, sit down with us, it's a fun time. So normally, I feel like we leave interviews on the show towards the end, so we can have a good conversation around news and everything, but this is a pretty big one. This week, I got to chat with uh, Alexei Pajitnov and Hank Rogers. Alexei is the guy who created Tetris in the Soviet Union back in the 80s, or was that maybe late 70s? I talked to them both around the new Tetris movie that's coming to Apple TV Plus this weekend. I'll be talking about my thoughts about the movie later on in this episode, and you can read my review over at Engadget. But uh, you know what? We had a great chat around this movie and Tetris's legacy, and uh, I think it's a really interesting discussion. So take a listen. Hank and Alexi, thank you so much for joining us on the Engadget podcast. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yes. It's great. It's amazing. This is a great opportunity. I really enjoyed the movie, guys. It's it's a ton of fun. My main question just coming out of this, like, what is the craziest thing in the movie that is actually true? Because I feel like some things you can tell were maybe fudged a bit, but what what is the wildest thing that you guys experienced? Um, I would say the, the craziest thing that happened in the movie is... That I, well, it doesn't actually show up in the movie, but they got the feeling across is that I was uh, walking on thin ice. I thought I might end up in a gulag. I had no idea. Uh, so, yeah, it was, um, how can I say, <laughs> all balls, no brains. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And, uh, yeah, Alexi, like from your end, um, you know, it must have been a much bit different experience on your side and a really dangerous one too. Like any any notable things you'd remember from you know getting the game out of out of the USSR? Well, basically, basically, I was to uh, um, all the time I try to be together with Elorg. So I consulting with them, and I was the pre- representative of the real owner of the game that time, which was my computer center. So I didn't do much much of the risk shown at the screen at that time. But uh, but we were strictly forbidden to have any personal or any casual relationship with the foreigner that time. So the fact that I invited this guy for, for dinner to my apartment <laughs> was kind of serious risk. So gotcha. Do you regret it now? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> and 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 basically that was already kind of starting of perestroika time. We have 
we have helpful changes in our country and stuff. So I I really feel and believe in the, in those stuff. So I I did what I did. I'm glad it worked out for you both. Uh, did either of you have any idea that the game would become so big and honestly have such a lasting appeal too? Because people are still discovering Tetris. It's in new forms now. How big do you think it was going to get from the beginning? Well, uh, when I just designed it, when I just ha have the very first prototype, uh, with no decoration, with no scoring, just a, just a pure mechanics, I catch myself that uh, that already second week I give me myself excuse that I'm debugging something, but in reality I'm hooked on it and can't stop playing. So I did realize that this is a really good game, but I never expect anything like that, of course. Well, I, I was a publisher for the first year from the time that I founded a consumer electronics show to the time that I went to Moscow. I, you know, I was concerned with the Japanese market. And frankly speaking, Spectrum Holobyte and Mirosoft, they didn't think they had, you know, a giant hit on their hand. That that just never, in fact, everybody at that time you know, didn't think so. <laughs> the biggest company in Japan uh, passed on Tetris. They said it was, in 1988, they said it was too retro. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going like, yeah! But like, that, oh my goodness. There's so many people who passed on Tetris because they didn't uh, realize how big this thing was going to be. Um, and I, I, I guess I didn't. Hank, can you tell me about your experience just, you know, playing the game for the first time? Was it actually at CES? Like it's yes, portrayed it was at CES and it was at the Spectrum Holobyte booth. Um, Gilman Louis is, uh, is actually Chinese, so he's a quite different character from the movie. But my job <laughs> was to find games to bring to Japan. So I was going from machine to machine to play, to test all these games and have discussions. Um, well, I found myself for the fourth time standing in line to play Tetris again, I realized I, I was hooked on this game. <laughs> well, you strike me, Hank, as somebody who also understands games and knows games and plays games. And Alexei, too, like, I'm wondering, what was your experience, Alexei, with computer games before discovering Tetris? Because I feel like it must have been much limited compared to what people could access in the West. Well, I I saw lots of game and I understand their, well... Uh, Probably I have kind of natural feeling for the game. So because I feel I really understand the the weak and strong parts of every game I tried. It wasn't too much available to me at that time. I do remember playing Q-Bird. I remember <laughs> I do yeah. I, I I really enjoy Pac-Man and and I I remember Centipedes. Uh, then this game, maybe you remember it's like a snake goes uh, goes around the kicks kicks yes something like that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have to make a little box around it yeah uh, it it eats the numbers and the enlarge its size Oh, no, that's the different. That's the different one. I don't know. Yeah, so my favorite was, uh, and still kind of, uh, I am hoping, uh, the game called Load Runner. Oh, my God. I spent maybe a good half a year playing this game. Seriously? Yeah, it was my... Uh, I think that's the... That time I, I thought that that's ideal game. I do remember it very well. And I still get involved time to time. They want me to to design the levels for it or whatever. So 
Oh, that's fun. Well, you know, I think since uh, since the rise of Tetris, I feel like Tetris was the first casual video game that a lot of people, even non-gamers, like really just latched into and ended up spending a lot of time with. Since then, you know, we've had smartphones and mobile gaming has become such a huge thing. Um, do, do you guys see kind of a pathway to, to mobile games and how other companies are kind of exploding games in different ways and kind of what you hit on with Tetris at the beginning? Well, so for mobile games, when when I started my mobile game phone com uh, my mobile game company, um, mm-hmm. people would buy a game. You know, you you'd spend I don't four ninety nine whatever the price of a cup of coffee, and uh, now you have to give the games away and bug the people with commercials or ads. It is so annoying. It's like it's like having going to the movie and and either being nickel and dimed every ten five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so disruptive to a game to have to go through all of that. And so I, I really feel that that we need to get back to uh, a time when people will actually, this is a cup of coffee, you know? And, and what, you, we're gonna give you 10 minutes of pleasure from this cup of coffee. We're selling you a game. You're, you're gonna have hours and hours and hours of pleasure. You know, give us a little money for that. It's a <laughs> It's it seems old school today to that concept I guess. Do you do you think games lose something when a lot of companies are just, you know, here's the game for free, pay us a monthly pass or something. Is is it different when a game is presented like that rather than something you buy outright? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And answering your uh, your uh, previous question, uh I am very much with you about the first casual game. So the the very important role of Tetris of that time was that it start to ruin uh, to ruining the barrier between um, people and computers. computers. Breaking down the barrier. Breaking, down Breaking the barrier. yeah. <laughs> ruining the barrier is good for us. So so basically, it was a serious barrier that time, and Tetris. Something very simple and very amazing and easy appearing on the screen was a very important thing. But, but many people forget about the other very important moment. Tetris kind of make the game kind of they they uh, they kind of put the legacy into the game. So I do remember many people f- uh, feel really embarrassed, uh, embarrassed, uh, embarrassed to to admit that they are hooked to, with my game. But but many people say no, 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 no. I don't play game. Just Tetris. That's an exception. But this was <laughs> key important exception for for the industry. After that, people may in many people's mind that kind of switched a little bit that it's okay to play games and that's give the really serious kind of to the yeah. industry it kind of opened the floodgates i think yeah. for to, to a much and wider that, audience so that's, that's and that has a mm-hmm. big role in it I have a question for you guys from James True at Engadget. He's reported a lot about classic Tetris and people playing competitive classic Tetris. He's wondering, and a lot of people in the esports community are wondering, like, is there something holding back classic Tetris, NES Tetris, from becoming a bigger esport? Um, like, what are your thoughts on that as a as the Tetris company? Um, no, I, I I don't think there's anything holding it back except 
we, what we need is a licensee with vision on this. So I think Tetris is the perfect game for esports. Um, and it shows you you can show, you can see by you know how exciting it is to watch people play. So nothing really. Um, I I don't run the Tetris myself. My daughter does it now. Uh, we're always on. The- I I loved hearing that, seeing that at the end of the movie. By the way, that is lovely. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Um, you know, we're always on the lookout for a new licensees that haven't have a a great idea that want to do develop Tetris in some way. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I I really enjoy this competition. If you if you. Uh, if you're following, I even uh, kind of give the uh, the first prize on one of them. So I feel that it's almost the ideal platform for such a competition. It's it's little bit old fashioned. It doesn't look mm-hmm. new and look little bit uh, little bit retro. But in terms of of, of playing, what? No, I'm just saying. Come on, don't be saying. Don't be. It's- it's it's your don't classic. Me, it's your baby. You know? This yeah. game as being classic and also- no, 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 no. <laughs> for, for very innovative esports stuff, they they probably expect something kind of outstanding. I, I think what's it, we're seeing Gen Z kids and really young kids really going back to the NES and going back to old systems. So, uh, are you are you guys supporting the way players still play on old systems, yeah. or would you rather be like? Oh yeah, player? no, absolutely. I, you know, wherever pe- people want to play Tetris, we support that. Gotcha. And it's it's funny how adaptable Tetris is. Like we we've seen it become kind of a battle royale. We've seen all sorts of multiplayer options. I'm wondering, you know, for my last question, just looking forward. What is the one thing you guys wanted to achieve with Tetris but haven't quite got there? Will we ever see like Tetris in augmented reality or something like giant skyscraper size matches that you're playing through your goggles? We've or already seen both of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what I I uh, I still haven't seen a Zen Tetris uh, mm-hmm. because I I believe that the falling blocks and you are playing Tetris puts you into a flow mode. And I, I want to create a Tetris. I want someone to create a Tetris where it's just like transcendental meditation. Spend 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, and it settles <laughs> your mind down. You know, because when, when you play Tetris, you have to make quick decisions. And your mind generally doesn't do that. You can go through your whole day without making any decision. What, am I going to have a latte again? This is like, you do this from memory. It's a it's a knee-jerk reaction now. But Tetris, you have to like... And so what it does is it occupies some some part of your mind, which I think is a pleasure center. And it, and what it does is relaxes you because you can't think about anything else. You have to focus on the Tetris game. And this is what meditation is all about, is to focus your mind on one thing and then then you can mind connect can float. Oh, for sure. I would say you you guys made that game. You guys made the Zen Tetris because that's how I feel playing Tetris on the Game Boy. To be honest, well, it's, oh. it should be recognized, and it shouldn't take it shouldn't take more time than it takes for you to do TM in the morning. You know, it it shouldn't take a half hour or an hour. It should be limited, uh, you know, for each day so that you can do it again the next day. Yeah, gotcha. my vision in future. I really, I am really looking for some kind of uh, real two-player Tetris. Uh, I, I have strange feeling that we are not there yet. So all two-player Tetris kind of fall, falling into solitaire player. 
playing mm-hmm. because because Tetris takes all your resources, all your attention or whatever. You don't have time to to react to the other person action or or play field or whatever. So so something should be invented and done to to create really really strong two player activity. MMA Tetris. What is MMA? MMA is is a mixed mixed martial arts. That's uh yeah the rated M version of Tetris I guess yeah well Hank and Alexi thank you guys so much for chatting with us and uh, yeah hope to chat with you soon good luck with everything and uh, can't wait to see like how people respond to the Tetris all right thank, thank you. you thanks again to Alexi and Hank for that chat and you know what let us know your thoughts about uh, Tetris or this movie because I'm sure many people are gonna be watching it this weekend podcastandgadget.com. Let's move on to some other news. And I feel like the big thing we saw this week, Sherlyn, is uh, this letter that came out from the Future of Life Institute, um, issued a letter signed by Elon Musk and a whole bunch of other like notable people in tech uh, asking for a six-month pause on AI development beyond GPT-4. And GPT-4 is the thing that was just recently announced. And I feel like when I first saw this news, I was like, hey, yeah, this is exactly what we're talking about on the Engadget podcast. Um, We've been saying we're kind of hurtling into the stuff too quickly, and maybe we should sit and think back about the ethical and, you know, societal ramifications of all this stuff. What was your first thought about, like, hearing this, Sherlyn? Because it gets more complicated. Um, I think I saw a lot of the tweets around it and it was just like headline level scrutiny for me um and six month pause it just seems a lot like panic uh to me it seems like oh no everything but there it's i wouldn't say it's completely unfounded panic i think you can tell obviously every major tech company is looking into inserting generative ai into their products and almost willy-nilly just like, like opening it up to the public because of this weird competition to beat each other to the punch and so I think a pause is warranted in this case, kind of like, hey, sit and think. Or at least you know? Why, discussion what are we doing? of Why a are we... pause. Yeah, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that's not, not a bad idea. I feel like it sounds reasonable on the face of it, but pr- pretty quickly after this letter dropped, a lot of people were like, hey, 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 uh, Elon Musk does not do anything altruistically. Okay, like what what is Elon Musk getting out of this? And yeah, then exactly. a lot of people started pointing out that, you know what, um, the OpenAI, um, OpenAI, the the organization, was initially co-founded by Musk. He donated $10 million to them uh, back in 2015. And uh, there was a point, um, as many articles point out, Forbes has one from Matt Novak, um, where Elon Musk was getting frustrated with, uh, with the development of AI at OpenAI. And around 2018, um, he was basically pushing Sam Altman to, to take full control of the company and Musk himself was pushed out by Altman and the board. And actually now, whenever I write about open AI and if I mention like, Oh yeah, this thing uh, founded by Musk and Sam Altman, I almost always get a letter from open AI saying, Hey, Elon Musk is not involved anymore. You don't, you don't need to mention him like that, or at least he's not a current uh, person involved with it. But it sounds like um, Elon Musk, uh, th- this is like the thing where he's like, oh, you guys have actually progressed pretty quickly. And meanwhile, Elon Musk and Tesla are kind of working on their own AI solutions. It's something they need for self-driving, for the robot, for so many other things. This almost seems like um, one of those things, like a playground game, like, oh man, you're too far ahead. Please slow down. Please slow down so I can catch up. 
please, please, please. Does it does it feel like that to you, Sherlyn? No, more the the thought I was about to go on to was that I I don't know what a pause is supposed to look like, right? A pause right, on right. out of control AI experiments. What does that mean? You mean are, it means pause are you saying right? Everybody yeah. tells everybody say pause, but are we really Freeze. sure people are going to stop doing it in the background? Like you know, just because you're uh-huh, not publicly uh-huh. having or running these AI experiments doesn't mean people are not running you know neural nets or or machine learning algorithms in the background. No, you you can you can tell me to try to pause like. Let's 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 hypothetically say this. Oh, nationwide pause on selfies. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it's more like selfies. um, it's it's weirdly like not not even is the thing. Like he's saying pause on development beyond GPT four, the thing you're so great at. Uh, that does not mean Tesla and other companies are pausing on their AI that is not up to the level of GPT four. It is basically saying, hey, uh, give us time to catch up, guys. Can we can we play fair here? Um. There has been a lot of response from people actually in the AI community who I think kind of break all this down pretty well. Uh, my favorite thread is from Ali Al-Khatib, um, who points out, uh, number one, lots of trash interspersed in the letter, which is true. The letter sort of, um, it paints the sort of like doomsday scenario of AI potentially like destroying humanity and doing bad things. And Ali and other people have pointed out like, the AI right now is already bad. It's already potentially causing harm. So maybe we should focus on that. Uh, point two, the org is bad. Um, this company, um, this organization, um, the Future Institute, uh, it is a, what is it? It's a long-termism company. It's one of those organizations that is always talking about like humanity, what humanity needs to do to prepare for the future. Uh, make as much money as possible so you can spend it on things in the future or be ready for the future. Um, we've talked about this before. Not not really a great, um, I would say, social philosophy right now. Uh, Ollie also points out lots of false signatories on the letter. Bill Gates did not actually sign it. It seemed like it was kind of just open for everybody to sign it. And um, the other main thing, he he says, wake me up when there's a letter that doesn't center a bunch of old white dudes who got rich on this tech. That's like, that's it. Um, drop mic scenario. Knowing like the actual community response to this, Sherlyn, like, do you, how do you see this letter? And like, do, do you think there, we, how do we actually have this societal conversation and this like ethical, I don't know, in, interrogation about AI? I think uh, the, the fact that there were people like straight up pretending to be Bill Gates signing this thing shows you, I'm like, yeah, no, this thing does us. It's uh, to quote uh, Married at First Sight Australia. <laughs> <laughs> the recap show no, that I watched. That. To quote that, that, um, this is susso. It's very suspicious. Um, and I'm just not uh convinced about the motivations. I think uh, all you you use uh the part you referenced, uh it's a very good point, right? I also want to point out KP in our uh live stream chat also says like pause, how? Kind of like going back to pause the thing how? we were talking about earlier. How does that work? Is it a yeah. six month vacation for employees at OpenAI? Like is that is that what they're talking about? So it is very suspicious. The motivations don't know don't seem sound. It is, however, I think their motivations might not have been sound, but the the output isn't a bad one. The idea isn't a bad one to like to kind of like take a breather. Uh, what that looks like, I don't know. I think more, maybe more of panels and com- conversations around the ethical side of things, or like limiting a lot of these like open to the public types of experiments um and figuring that out maybe, maybe don't, don't immediately know. start rolling it out into all of your products like uh, immediately i guess yeah i feel like that's the thing microsoft i like, mean you get some ai office you get ai uh as, microsoft as cybersecurity tools 
Yeah. As has Google, right? Like it's both of them. It's both of them adding it into their entire suite of like office slash productivity tools. It's and then the, I, I I think other big names are coming up with more too. So we're just like, mm. yeah, it's it's getting out of hand a little too fast. It feels like one person said we can do this, and everyone's like, we have to do this too. It's it's a competition thing that doesn't feel right. It's a weird it's a weird race. Like yeah, and we've talked about this before. It's sort of like the the entire tech world has been waiting for the next big thing. Like we had smartphones, right? Wearables were never quite the thing. Wearables were interesting and big. Not not as big as like the iPhone, right? And ever we're still waiting for that iPhone moment. And it feels like, as we've discussed it, like AI is legit that thing that can transform how we use tech and our society. But it also feels like we are rushing into we're we're already on like the iPhone five, ver, you know, version of AI without like thinking about like how this stuff is actually uh, interacting with us. So anyway, we'll be following all this. That letter is uh, is a really fun thing to to look into now. Just just in terms of like thinking about the motivations behind it and uh yeah read about long-term read about long-termism and uh the potential harm that could be doing to us because it's a whole have you we talked about this around sam bankman fried uh Jirlin, like do you remember do you remember that discussion yes it's very you weird by not this was binance no this was a ftx thank you that fell um, that fell apart binance also mm -hmm. fell apart around that time yes. so that is why you're thinking <laughs> yes. about that exactly but yeah it is it is the idea it's the philosophy of focusing on like the future impact of future humans uh seemingly ignoring the humans who exist right now who need a lot of help i will you know? i will say this mm -hmm. right i think that with a, a lot of trends and a lot of fads i think you'll notice that um we we as people covering the developments in the industries can tell if something is moving too fast with no real like direction. So wearables is like everyone was jumping on the wearables train. Everyone was jumping on this, you know, uh, crypto. Oh my god! All the the most annoying people were jumping on crypto, blockchain, all that stuff. And a lot of money was involved, right? There. So that and it, it was, was a thing. it was yeah. exactly there was a lot of money. I'm not saying it was a pipe, but there's a lot of this stuff that came and everyone hyped up really hard. At least in recent memory, I I know that I was like extremely skeptical about how quickly it would take over, how the um you know mainstream audience would take to it. I think though with AI, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, this yeah. is groundbreakingly different. It is very it's going to impact all of us in a bigger way than crypto could ever. So it, we we all have like a spidey thinking. sense, right? Like I feel like all the yeah. tech reporters and people following the technology industry, um, some people just want to make money, right? Some people just want to make money from like speculative futures and uh, what crypto could mean or what um, you know what NFTs really are. And some people are just like, well, you know, uh, they're trying to make bank and whatever the next big thing is. I do feel like we not to shoot our own horn, but we we kind of have a sense of like, oh man, this yeah. feels bad and this feels weird. So anyway, we're gonna be following all of that and uh, in other news, it feels a little iffy and weird um you know as we uh were discussing things last week during our last episode tiktok ceo as we talked uh show two was um you know was testifying before congress that was going on for a while and it was not a very pretty sight um i saw some people asking him like uh does tiktok access our wi-fi like his, their wi-fi in their home like yeah dude it's that explains it's an app. Uh, it's an app a that tweet goes on the internet uh-huh <laughs> What is someone it explain? Well, someone made someone made a joke uh, in response to a tweet I made about you know joining group chats or not, and the the, the tweet was saying, "Oh, do does uh, joining a group chat connect to your home Wi-Fi?" <laughs> I did not get it until you just explained this. That is the joke, and I I, I forget the TikTok CEO wow. response, but it was it was a little like, yeah, yeah, that's that's how this works. It's sort of um, 
I remember when somebody was asking Zuckerberg, um, how does Facebook make money? And it was like, Zuckerberg was like, can we, we, we distribute ads? You know, that, that is the thing that's going on. Um, one thing we want to quickly mention is uh, two different things, the Data Act and the Restrict Act, both of which are kind of spinning up right now. We've actually talked about the Data Act before because that was the, the legislation we were saying could give uh, President Biden the power to block TikTok. And I'm reading from Lawfare blog right here. Um, I'm just going to read a direct quote because I think they explained it well. Uh, the Data Act would provide the president with more authorities to block transactions associated with the import or export of American sensitive data, in quotes, where there are national security risks. There's also the Restrict Act, and that's something you've probably heard a bit about, too, that was uh, – uh, introduced on March 7th. And that is the one where people are talking about um, it could potentially uh, make VPNs illegal, or at least that was the, that was the like discussion around it because I think people just started reading the act and started maybe misinterpreting some rules around it. Um, turns out that's not actually true. The daily dot has a great explainer. Uh, it's called, you will not be jailed for 20 years if you use TikTok after it's banned, despite internet fear mongering. What seems to have been happening is a lot of like crypto bros. Um, people have been reading parts of this bill. Things are getting shared around out of context. Um, it doesn't seem like this will jail you just for using a VPN, but potentially if that VPN is based in China, you know, like a lot of the fear mongering around these things, like then, then potentially you may have to find something else. Um, the actual fines and everything just seem entirely made up. So there's a lot of things going on here. It does seem like Politically, Sherlyn, um, both Democrats and Republicans are sort of down with the idea of banning TikTok or adding more controls. Um, AOC has had her own response to which she posted on TikTok. Love it. Um, but she was more like, we need national, like we need national privacy laws. That's what we need. We need data protection. We need actual privacy stuff. What is your take on all this? Fully agree with what AOC said. I think that AOC made a very good point, which is that TikTok is just one app and it sets a precedent. There's so many different apps that could be surveilling you, whether or not they're from China. We This is a problem. Like, do you, yes, China could be insidious. It, it is a problem. If China, if, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, as a Singaporean a person, the Chinese government is like something we openly talk about in Singapore, where like there's a lot of corruption that goes on in China. We're like, whatever. And so I'm not like in defense of China here, but who, who like Russian apps could also be spying on you if there's, you know, <laughs> there any is ever as big a one. Uh, as every, everything is kind of blocked from Russia. Everyone. So, so AOC's yeah, yeah, yeah. point being that like, it's not about, you know, this one app. It's about having a, a dedicated, I guess, committee that has regulations and people who are informed about these issues being on the board, as opposed to people who don't even know how home Wi-Fi works grilling the tiktok ceo that's which is what happens every time exactly yeah. exactly when zuckerberg so, was up there yeah. people were asking him about their apps too right their, their emails or why, why are my emails. emails not being seen or something right there was something like that mm -hmm. say oh. what you will about gdpr and those annoying cookie requests we get on many websites but that that legislation has pushed a lot of companies to think harder about how they're collecting people's data and using people's data. And I think the main, the like broader point is the TikTok ban misses the point when we should be doing the same sort of like protections for users across Facebook and Google and yeah. everybody too. It's, so. it's like, yeah, what are you yeah. going to ban every ad that you're uncomfortable with moving forward? Because again, this would set a precedent. Again, I do not use TikTok. I do not give a crap if it gets banned or not. It doesn't impact mm -hmm. my personal life, but it's the precedent. You don't, you don't use TikTok. Were you still anti? Like, yeah, I do recall, I'm like, not you were not hot on TikTok just... early on. You were, you were definitely anti TikTok for a while. So I'm, I just I'm trying don't to have... get to the heart of that. 
Yeah, I know. I'm not anti. I just don't. I, I have it on my phone. I don't use it. It's not sucked me in, I guess. Right. It's not one of the things I scroll every day. I maybe like go into play with some of the filters that I saw online. And yeah, the filters are pretty fun. much it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also we saw uh, Senator Josh Hawley also tried to just like straight up uh, introduce a TikTok ban. It was Rand Paul who kind of struck him down which is a very weird thing. Um, as as producer Ben points out, the worst person you know just made a really good point. I never want to praise Rand Paul, but here we go. Uh, so anyway, that that is a whole thing. And that's it's a bit of dry news, but we are seeing a lot of things like come up as people talk about a TikTok ban. And personally, it just feels like to me that misses the point, even though, yes, we should be worried about what, um, what all these companies are doing, especially a Chinese company is doing with our data. Uh, I still use TikTok every day. My daughter, that is kind of the thing I use um, to just chill with my daughter uh, before bath time or something where we just watch our videos. It's very cool and cute. And it is less of a lift than YouTube, which is, I think, the big thing. Like we, we keep talking about like, oh, the ease of access for content is the thing that makes it happen. And with TikTok, you know, you open it up and you're getting videos recommended to you and that that is the main thing um i see ben asking "Mm -hmm, what's up i was gonna say i am now reminded of a documentary from i think it was tribeca last year that we talked about called tiktok boom right and it's just reminding me now that like again this was a lot like I, i remember at the time it was a fine documentary it did take too many artistic liberties it did Ben facts yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. and I did yeah. not enjoy that part of it and like this is the danger of like not being very good about your facts about like, as a documentarian be, like if I wonder how many people actually saw the documentary and was like oh god like again TikTok is something that like could be very insidious but also not to the point where this documentary straight up said this thing is scanning your face and looking at your expressions and then tweaking its algorithm I'm like uh you wouldn't know if your camera was turned yeah, yeah. on you, you, no Depends. 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 We will talk about spyware that can do we that. We can talk about uh, that. Yeah. We if yeah, it's bypassing later. the indicator, it's not supposed to. This should be system mm-hmm. level status indicators about access. Ha- There's a lot of weird fear mongering in that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, that that's yeah, it's slippery slope. I will say like I don't know. We we haven't really like fully talked about TikTok yet, but I do. I think it is a really interesting app, uh, sort of like an offshoot of like what was so good about Vine, but really easy, quick videos that people are doing a lot of really cool, creative stuff with it. To me, that is that is the thing. It's like these platforms that people can express themselves more on and more easily, I think are really fascinating. Ben is asking, is my algorithm trained for uh, Sophia safe videos, videos safe for my daughter? Do I ever get inappropriate videos um it is mostly good like it's mostly like cute animal stuff it is she's really into like these like weird gardens the sort of like self-contained gardens where people put little things together so i think i'm gonna have to give her one of those eventually occasionally i have to skip away from like um you know if people are swearing uh it's never anything too scary there are some of those like weird horror like mini horror movie things and i've just kind of trained those away so you know, and TikTok does have a restricted mode, which kind of filters out a lot of explicit stuff too. But yeah, your algorithm kind of suits you. What's up, Sherlyn? What were you going to say? No, I was going to say that TikTok is also, you know, dangerous in the sense that like in the same way Instagram reels and Instagram was dangerous for our, our you know, self-esteem and all of that stuff, all the social issues around that. TikTok is getting, as more and more people use it, getting more and more influential on how people young people impressionable people view their bodies view their self-worth and you know a lot of talk around how the filters there are just a little too real uh at this point it's 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 all worth looking at um although it's i would say that's not there 
Similar yeah. to the issue of banning an app like TikTok, that's not a TikTok only issue. This is like we would be like if we said ban Instagram or ban TikTok because it's causing teens to have self-esteem problems. It's the same thing here. If you're saying TikTok should be banned because of privacy issues, you're ignoring the larger issue and focusing on the one player For in sure. this bigger game. We should do an episode on that at some point because it <laughs> yes. also seem like interesting pushback from research that's saying that's, that may not be as true as we initially thought. Like people were scaling back like teen suicide rates and teen rates um, before the 2000s. And it's also interesting. Part, yeah. there, there, there was a big drop after the 90s and it wasn't necessarily like the rise wasn't necessarily related to social apps so there's a lot of stuff to talk about but that's definitely a good point so yeah uh we will be talking about that at some point um i i briefly mentioned the spyware thing you know sherlyn yeah apps aren't supposed to you know use your front-facing camera without the indicator or something but some can and these are from things called uh, commercial spyware and it's software that intelligence agencies and other countries usually buy to uh, to do nefarious things on your phone such as um when your phone is on sleep it could be listening to your audio or if you're yeah, it could just turn on your webcam without the indicator um we did see news the Biden administration uh bans federal he is uh they're banning federal agencies from using commercial spyware so that's stuff from like the NSO group which we've talked about before um, this is more like high level intelligence stuff. This is not like the spyware that just like is trying to take over your computer to, you know, generate money with ads or something. This is stuff being used to fully, uh, just spy on people, like literally spy on people. Um, we've done some coverage around this. I, uh, I've written about the Alex Gibney documentary about, um, commercial spyware as well. Uh, this stuff is dangerous. It does feel like you could do so much with it. Um, We've seen China, actually, that, that is a big thing the Chinese government is doing to hack into U.S. systems. And we've seen several reports of that. Um, so, OK, uh, Biden is saying the federal agencies can't use it. That doesn't mean some covert ones won't end up using them somehow. It's just kind of the public facing statement. Any thoughts, Sherlyn? I mean, covert agencies are going to do what covert agencies <laughs> are going to do. do. They like do. the NSA is uh-huh. going to keep spying on you if, you if they want to, and they're going to like claim Patriot Act or whatever. Well, they don't. Um, they don't need commer- They don't need to buy commercial yeah, spyware. They're they already the ones making yeah. their own. Yeah, yeah, it's already. already yeah, they're in the air. You know what I mean? Uh, uh-huh. I think C in the chat makes a good point. Everyone needs to trust themselves and live a life of bravery and freedom. I think. Th- I think the point that C is making here is that like I. I'm at a point where maybe I shouldn't feel this way and maybe I shouldn't, you know, I should demand better. But uh, I'm at a point where like, I'm like, all right, you want to spy on me, spy on me. Like, I'm a very boring person. I think for the most part, right, I don't have a lot of sensitive information that needs to be like stolen other than credit card info or whatever. Um, now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to be that way. I'm just saying that I'm not. <laughs> I don't care. Spy on me. Go ahead. I already live my life like I'm in the Truman Show. So. <laughs> You're already posting way too much. So. I'm already, Exactly. Yeah. I'm already like, here, have have more of me. You want me? Have more of me. It's out there. And then, you know. I mean, that is certainly an <laughs> attitude. I'm certainly like, I'm not worried about TikTok spying on me or doing location data or something. But if I were working in a government agency and if my location could reveal something that could be potentially like useful to the Chinese government, then I'd be thinking quite absolutely twice. and yeah there are federal, people for whom agencies. like this stuff is definitely a big problem like you don't want to be tracked mm-hmm. you don't want to be like you're doing whatever it's yep. your life but yeah by and we large be aware think, of all yeah. threats yeah <laughs> oh man oh man well okay we've got some other news that's less uh i don't know less exciting i guess but we did see a report how do you how do you feel about the core of windows Sherlyn? the core of windows 12 does that sound exciting to you like Spire? i want to go work my core 
<laughs> you want to work it for? I do. I, I mean, listen. Okay. So Windows Central had this report. Um, Microsoft is working on something called Core PC that could end up showing up in Windows 12, which is a way to sort of like kind of break apart the way Windows works right now. So Windows is an old school OS. Uh, Windows 11 still has to work with apps that were written uh, for honestly, uh, for windows 95 and windows 98, there are a lot of like old school apps that still work within windows. Um, when you install windows, the actual system folders and everything are on the same drive and the same partition as your, your files on most laptops on something like, unless you're making your own drive partitions or doing that, um, that leaves everything pretty exposed. That makes it really hard to update the system compared to the way iOS or Android works. Um, so core PC is this idea, according to this report, uh, for, for Microsoft to kind of like break that up, put windows, the system, the OS itself on a separate partition. Um, it would allow them to potentially scale windows 12 to different sorts of devices too. Uh, sort of like if they want to have a Chromebook competitor, um, they could have a super light version of Windows. You know, how many times so, have we heard okay. of the Windows powered Chromebook competitor? How many times have we heard about Th- they this? They exist. They totally exist. Um, there are. So this report also says this is sort of like what Microsoft was trying to do with Windows 10X. Um, yeah, that is the sort of like failed a plan to create like a lighter Windows for dual screen devices that didn't end up happening. Actually, um, it seems like. Microsoft is going the other direction. So we saw Windows RT, you know, we saw all these ways for Microsoft to build Windows for ARM chips, a really restricted version of the OS. Um, It sounds like they're kind of going, rather than being from the most restrictive and moving on from there, they're trying to go from supporting everything, but sort of restricting how uh, people, how, you know, apps and things can access the system. So kind of interesting. And part of this news too, it looks like Microsoft is thinking about baking security into, uh, or ba- baking AI into security, into security for like the um, for IT providers. So that's something interesting as well. Um, hey man, a- AI everywhere. Windows twelve. Are you ready for Windows twelve, Sherlyn? Like you're so exciting. Fix Windows eleven first. Come on. No, I feel like I, f- I still feel like Windows eleven. it's weird that that came and went and is a thing now. And I'm looking down and my start menu, my taskbar is in the center of my screen. That's the only evidence that we've moved on from windows 10. Yeah. It's nice. The search is thankfully not too effed on new computers that shipped with Uh windows 11. But when Uh I upgraded to windows 11, like I used to do this, my workflow, right? Start, start button, a few letters of the app I'm looking for. So start button, AUD for audacity, right? Now, on the older laptop that I had that just upgraded to Win 11, as opposed to the laptop that came with Win 11, uh, now when I do that, it just disappears. The start menu does not like trigger the search at all, and then I have to retype, and then it always types the wrong thing yeah. in again. It's just so that, that's, it's So, so Windows, like, I, yeah, a fresh Windows 11 install can be really nice and snappy, but it does degrade pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, Windows 12... It, it is weird. It does feel like Windows 10 did not have enough lo- enough of a lifespan, but I guess time just moved quickly and we barely even noticed. I mean, Trillin, you if, want, yeah, yeah. If 12 is on the horizon, isn't Windows 11 going to have a shorter lifespan? Like 10 if Windows 11 going to have the shortest lifespan. I don't, I, I don't understand the numbering or anything anymore. Um, anyway, let's move on. There was another story, Trillin. You want to talk about um, Google unveiled an AI-powered planning tool or tools to help beat climate change's extreme heat. Um, the let me just a subhead here is. That they'll spot heat islands, track tree canopy coverage, and push useful information in emergency notifications. W- what's up? 
because you're the Googler and you, yes. you love you love what Google always does. Truly. I don't so I don't me. I don't. OK, so this is part of like Google's um, things that they do or, or uh-huh. you know, roll out uh, out of nowhere. Um, you know, it used to be that they did earthquake detection with phones. They uh, they would do a lot of um, they did crash detection earlier as well. They made a very pointed dig at Apple at one I O and I know at a pixel uh, event where, you know, Google uh, Apple added a feature to all its phones. I think it was last year. Um, but this is, you know, one of those things like Google knows it has a lot of data, knows it can use that data for good, I guess. And, um, can want to wants to target things like natural disasters, climate change, and this is part of that. Uh, I think we shouldn't get too hung up on the idea that this is AI powered. I think yes, AI is a very buzzy catchphrase right now, or buzzy. Every, everything is AI thing. powered. You, you go yeah, look it was at always so many AI powered. <laughs> go look at so many entrepreneur profiles in Twitter now. The people that were dot eth are now like AI. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. an AI founder. Oh, of course. Those are the. Those are the. Mm-hmm so-called early adopters they're just a bandwagon Mm -hmm. abandoners (laughs) um so yes uh tree canopy is part of this it just shows you kind of um you know where it it uses like high-res aerial uh images to kind of create understand better uh what the tree canopy is in certain areas uh and then it can display that on a map if you're using the google environmental insights explorer uh so that information this is more for like cities and like it, this is more for civil servants and actual consumers, but right, right, right. It's not, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. That these are tools that are not really for a lot of uh, average users like you and me. Um, so yeah, no, I just wanted to point out that Google had a slate of uh, announcements that our uh, AI reporter uh, Andy Tarantola helped cover. I do want to say there are more interesting things that came out this week, and more I think firmly in our wheelhouse. For example, Apple announced that WWDC this year, Worldwide Developer Conference, is taking place June fifth. So I guess I'll be there. I don't know yet. I don't have my invite that I know of yet. <laughs> you you will probably be there, surely. I will <laughs> almost definitely be there. You will uh, probably be there. <laughs> I am hoping to be there. I'm just putting that out because uh, because this is the rumored one where the VR headset, um, where their first headset is going to be shown off. So that could be interesting. Uh, there yeah. were also reports around MacBook changes potentially and them talking about the new chips, you know, so. So yeah, that would be a squarely U event, and I would be there to yeah. like be cute. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> well, they always talk about macOS and iOS, so there's always yes, stuff. I'm for always there for iOS Don't and worry. Wear OS. There's mm-hmm. usually a lot of like OS stuff for me to cover. Um, so that's good to know because then I can make my travel plans. I've got some uh, in between mm-hmm. May and June stuff I want to do. <laughs> Better um, than five days before the event. Uh, please fly across the country. Thank you, Microsoft. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, yeah, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Oh, unlike the them. Yes, exactly. Microsoft it's so nice yeah. to have some heads up. Yes. Um, okay. So, I mean, the other the, these are developer conferences. They have to let the developers know ahead of time to start buying tickets, that sort of stuff. Another piece of news this week is we learned that Overdrive is shutting down on May 1st. I don't know if you've ever heard of Overdrive, uh, those of you tuning into the podcast, but it's one of those uh, ebook lending or library apps. And I used to use Overdrive. It was powered by Rakuten or it was part of Rakuten, um, who is affiliated with the company that makes the Kobo e-readers. And R- Rakuten basically owns Kobo. Yeah, that's the thing. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that's how I knew of uh, Overdrive. And I had a lot of books that I borrowed through there. You can use your local library card on Overdrive to get books. Here's the thing. When there's a much better app around, like Libby, mm, it's not really like 
it's like you're you're losing right so libby so libby is my preferred ebook library app um i can use multiple library cards on there i just i adore the interface it looks nice the good kind of good news uh in all of this is that overdrive when you use it now it will automatically redirect to libby it's <laughs> just to like libby. okay right it's That's like fun. conceding it's conceding that yeah. uh <laughs> yeah. It's a reminder, by the way, that you can you can borrow ebooks yes. from your library, yes. folks. So go go get your library cards, and uh, don't you don't have to buy all the, all the little books. I just got a Koba reader, and because I was tired of having Kindles for a while, so I just wanted to see what the experience was like. It's very nice. It's very cute. And it's nice to. I just miss e-readers. I miss the e-ink, and my Kobo is is beautiful. I love it. Um, the good news mm-hmm. is. Since you just bought your Kobo device, a Rockton spokesperson explained to Engadget or us <laughs> that switching from OverDrive to Libby on their end anyway, it will not affect uh, you as a user on the library browsing, borrowing, and reading experience on Kobo e-readers. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, in other other news, uh, Disney's reportedly shutting down its Metaverse division. Uh, Mariel Moon writes for Engadget. Uh, it's right, wrote for us uh, just saying... Uh, there was a story that uh, from the Wall Street Journal that Disney shut down its Metaverse division, laid off all the team's 50 or so members as part of a restructuring process. We have um, Disney is laying off a ton of workers right now. I believe like up to 7,000. It's a it's a large amount of workers, and that is the process of what's happening right now. It sounds like this Metaverse division is 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 going away as a thing. But uh, like so many times what happens, that doesn't mean like they're not going to work in the metaverse anymore. It just means you don't need this whole like big segment of your company doing it. Um, I feel like we don't actually talk about the metaverse anymore. And I, I don't think that's a real priority. That was another hype train. Except meta. That was another hype train. Yeah. And it was really meta went way too far. It was like, we're changing our name. We're we're banking <laughs> on the future of the metaverse. And I yeah, maybe maybe call that shot too early, Zuck. I don't, I don't know. Do you have thoughts about Disney shutting this down, Trillin? I'm sorry. Oh, they had a metaverse division? Okay. They had a metaverse division. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of <laughs> isn't isn't going to a Disney theme park. You're entering a metaverse. Right. Like you're you using the real... a bracelet to tag into yeah. things. Reality yeah. disappears. You're surrounded yeah. by Disney characters. So you could go to the Star Wars thing and live an entirely different planet, apparently. I, so, I, I think know. what you're describing tells Disney's us the king more of the that... Metaverse. Yeah. One well, I think it tells us more that people will always prefer an in-person experience as opposed to mm-hmm. sitting at home or standing around at home with a VR headset on. I think I would always prefer going on an actual roller coaster ride than being on a fake mm-hmm. one in VR. So Disney. Yeah, focus but you can do the parks. fake one from your from your office. You know, it's fun. No, I get not. Oh, uh, Julio, our live stream producer, points out: I just want a video game where I can do my grocery shopping and I can get a virtual experience over using my phone or going in real life and then i'm assuming julio you mean it would deliver to your door uh after (laughs) you go around picking up fruits yes yeah yeah and you you would virtually drive the delivery car to your door (laughs) while you just have to sit in your office oh my god you're getting julio way too excited julio's like yes (laughs) never want to leave my house again uh there's so many other good grocery options too julio Um, can you imagine sitting in your like wheeled wheeled like uh your office chair with the wheels on it right and then going choo like not choo choo that's a train um room room (laughs) and then and then yeah and those are sounds cars make yes yes um looking as a, as an aside if you if you guys are looking for good grocery solutions i've really been liking misfits market you i love misfits market yeah, 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 yeah. it's very cute it's very like hey we have local stuff pick pick your stuff we're gonna send you a box full of stuff that's it that's all yeah. 
Goodbye. Yeah. It's not like you're not worrying about the Instacart person going around the 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 store. And is this the right thing? Is that? I love the, you I screaming know. at uh, yeah. the user like you're like an old dad. Hey, we yeah. have stuff. Bye. Got stuff. <laughs> Literally, the the Misfits Market box is a pile of stuff. They don't put it in bags. They don't. It's just like all your fruit, all your veggies, all together. Here, here's a box for cold stuff. Um, it, it is the best online grocery thing I've seen so far, and I don't feel bad about it because it's it doesn't involve like a minion doing doing the grunt work that Julia wants to do virtually, you know? So, hey, that's kind of cool. Let's move on to stories from around in gadgets. Uh, we've got a bunch of this stuff this week. Uh, Nathan Ingram finally got to review the new Sonos, um, what do you call it? The the spatial audio era. speakers. Yeah. The era, your era, era 300 and era 100. The era 300 got a score of 80. It seems like it sounds good, but he's not fully sell uh, sold on the like spatial audioness of it. Um, the Era 100 got a score of 88, and Nate says it improves on the Sonos One in just about every way. And I am very intrigued by the Era 100. So, what do you uh, you were thinking about getting speakers at some point, Trillin? Like, are you are you looking at any of these, either of these? My main pick problem with the speakers that I currently own is the Bluetooth sync. Um, not Bluetooth sync, the Wi-Fi sync. So sometimes the they're sync. not good. But, oh yeah, but you, you will not have that problem on Sonos. Yeah. 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 So so I might I might look into these. The one the one good thing about Sonos is that they're they're syncing and their like multi-room syncing is like rock solid. So yeah. This would be the uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Well I meant more them staying connected to my Wi-Fi, but yes. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm intrigued by the Era 100 just because I do like the idea of uh, of cheaper speakers. It is $250, but Nate says it sounds pretty good. And um, for people who are running current Sonos setups, like we've talked about this before, but if you have a Sonos Arc, if you're lucky enough to have the Sonos Arc soundbar, that is a Dolby Atmos thing. Um, these Era things, uh, having them in, as your rear speakers would be a huge kind of improvement there. Um, sounds really cool. And and other stuff around in Gadget, uh, Chris Abel wrote about Recky's smart snow goggles that sort of add AR. They add an AR view on top of, you know, your goggles while you're while you're on the slopes. This is something I'll, I have never done. We'll probably never do. Um, but it seems cool, judging from the promo video they put up there. Um, <laughs> so like there, there's I, a promo I edited yeah. this piece and I can tell mm-hmm. you a little bit more. Um, yeah, yeah, Carissa's... <laughs> describing it was so funny so okay there was there's a little like one inch ish screen above the nose bridge area that you can keep looking up at uh and it tells you things like your you know distance traveled elevation it's got features that can tell you where your friends are and how far away they are from you they're also wearing these goggles yeah um so for carissa who goes uh skiing with her husband a bunch uh, for her, she was like, is she tends to like zoom down the slope, whereas her husband kind of takes his time. So she'll be like at the, <laughs> at the bottom of the slope waiting for him to catch up and she can see his number tick down towards her, which is nice, right? Um, and then, yeah, exactly. And then it's also uh, when you can you can use the screen to see a notification sometimes, which I don't think a lot of people will be doing while they're zooming down a slope. Um, but you can also just turn everything off and just have it display the time. So it's a clock, right? And according to Carissa, this line in her... Um, article really made me laugh she goes uh it's better to than like you know constantly taking out your phone or she doesn't wear a watch so it's not uh or also better than stupidly shouting uh siri, hey, siri. tell me the yeah Sorry. tell me the time Sorry. especially when you're like scrolling again <laughs> it's surrounding That's surrounded true. by wind noise you're like hey siri hey siri 
what time is it? I, I could. I, the mental Sorry image for, of for everybody who's been activated uh, after from all the shouting. There, there's yeah, a video not in to say that anyway. article that uh, that kind of shows this. The actual display is very is very stupid simple. Like it is simple pixel graphics. It's like it is a black and white pixel display that just shows you stuff. Uh, you see the battery meter. It looks like an old school watch, you know, or mm-hmm. an old smartwatch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of useful. I have friends who are crazy enough to be to love the cold and the winter and the snow, and they have been waiting for smart stuff like this so it seems that this is a sort of like good use of augmented reality because you're doing something that's really physically demanding and you're getting information and you don't have to like make life harder for yourself this is useful stuff so i want to see more stuff like this um what is what what is the sort of like you do a lot of working out trillin do you want do you want a heads-up display like goggles that will track your movement and the the speed of your fists as you're hitting the punching bag? I I don't want to wear anything on my face when I'm working out, unfortunately. So on my watch, though, it's been helpful when I do my HIIT uh, mm-hmm. uh, workouts every yes. day. Well, okay, we do. Yes. We have cardio days and strength days. On strength, on strength days, it doesn't really matter. On strength days, it would be nice if like I was working out on my own for to count my reps. Um, that's something I'm still waiting for. I think some devices do that, but not very accurately. Um, on cardio days, you want to, you want to see your heart rate. So like, that's where the Apple watch has come in very handy lately, where I can see very clearly. I'm like peak heart rate, peak heart rate, like max heart rate. Like, okay, good. Um, to have it on a heads up display would be nice, but I wonder if it might be distracting. I don't know. Um, Maybe. Yeah. It might be. So it depends. Again, I don't wear anything on my face when I'm working out. Um, if I, if there's some other way to have the information in my eyeballs all the time, we <laughs> <laughs> create, I'd be like, Oh, okay. T- 12 reps. Stop now. Like, you know, but my trainers would never let me stop at 12. You know, they're it would, it would I always be cool like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you could have like a virtual fight or something or virtual training, like oh, battle yeah. with somebody. There's like, a lot of, if, there's if so many it was good enough for that. Yeah, there's a lot of good like VR uh, workouts that uh, I can't wait for. Yeah, us but to the dive VR headsets stand, like I, I and that's I've the seen problem. VR, yeah, the the VR headsets are so big, but if you could have just the goggles and get like this, the version of somebody in front of you, um, get like Mister. Um, I'll mention John Wick four later, but if you could get Mister Donnie Yen to be in front of you, and, uh, like, or you like practice, the or like that episode know. of Black Mirror, <laughs> the, mm-hmm, the Street mm-hmm. Fighter one. The Street Fighter one is really cool, but that, that was so more good. straight up VR. But, uh, you know, yeah, that one also goes true. places. Let's move on mm. to what we're working on. I reviewed Acer's um, glasses-free 3D gaming laptop, the Predator Helios 300 Spatial Labs Edition. I did not like it. So yeah, I heard. Go, go, go read my review about that. <laughs> our score is 59, um, y'all. It's uh, our score is one 59. of our lower scores, yeah. Um, this is a point where I did have to tell Acer, like, hey, I'm I'm so sorry, but this sucks. Let me know when it's better um, because it's glasses free 3D. And uh, the whole thing about that, you've probably experienced some of these, Sherlyn, is um, when it has to track your eyes, it's also spitting out two images at the same time. So they're using like these polarized displays that are projecting two things simultaneously. They're both being spit into your eyes at slightly different angles to give you a sense of depth. And for me, that is just like headache. That is that is trying to focus on a magic eye puzzle um, while also playing God of War or something or racing in Forza Horizon Five. And it's not it's not really fun. It's not really fun. It is weird. It kind of distracts from the experience. I think like some of it worked well. Like God of War looked like there was more depth. It was kind of cool. But this laptop is limited to a 4K 60 hertz screen. 
it is not it doesn't go to the high refresh rates you want in a gaming system even though it has some decent hardware it starts at $3,500 and I'm just like who why does this exist I understand why Acer does this stuff um, for like professional computers. Maybe somebody working with 3D models would want to pay for this tech to do some weird 3D stuff. Um, but no, no, gamers, no, nobody needs this. Uh, put on a 3D headset, uh, put on a VR headset if you want to see some 3D models and it would still look better. So was not a fan. This is one of those weird experiments. Acer tends to do this. Um, they did that. They did a gaming laptop with the weird hinge. The screen would just like yeah. flip all the way around. I reviewed that. Did not like that very much either. The swivel um, one? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Acer, Acer loves to try new things. I'm just like, buddy, calm down. Just give just give me an inexpensive and powerful gaming laptop. And I think that is good. Um, Sherlyn, what are you working on? So I uh, still, I'm so close to <laughs> finishing the Halo Rise review, y'all. It's going to be up this week uh, or next. So that's great. Has it's it been actually, months? You've been talking yeah, about this but, for months. Yeah, weeks uh maybe yeah, okay. one and a half months of At like of month, it actually yeah. being on my working on yeah um it's uh we we're shooting the video today which means the, the you know the video will go up on monday and i the written part is basically done too so we're just gonna it's it's coming the the, the reason it got sidetracked a little is we spent uh quite a lot a uh, quite a lot of time this week shooting this new video it's coming out tomorrow i cannot wait for y'all to see it this okay, year at Engadget, cool. we're doing a, a few different things with our, our videos. Um, we're trying to be a little bit uh, more thoughtful about our approach and have more fun. Uh, hopefully, the result oh, is more fun. entertaining videos for you. Yeah, and I can't wait for you to watch this. This is a video we're calling Breaking Bard. Um, and and it's oh, it's fun. Wow. It was fun. Wow. So I, would, I, would, I do wonder what that's going to be about. Sounds it's, cool. Okay. Uh, if you have had questions about AI and the limits of the Bing and Bard chatbots as they stand today, tomorrow, go look at our YouTube channel. I've already watched the finished video. I'm excited. This is fun. It was good. Um, we got an email from Katie about Google Bard. Katie was also playing around with Google Bard and using it to do some iPhone comparisons. Uh, and she sent along a screenshot uh, saying that, you know, Google Bard is definitely drunk, kind of like in reference to our previous episode. So thank you. I want to say thank you, Katie, for sending the email. And as a reminder to everyone listening and watching, you can send us emails, podcast at Engadget.com. We love getting your emails. Uh, I also just saw that we got an email from someone, uh, you know, just asking if our, our um, two separate podcast feeds for the morning edition podcast versus the weekly one where they uh, somehow you know mixed up so we are going to look into that uh, apparently there's a google podcast issue uh, that we will look into we also got another email from someone recently that i can't remember off oh no i didn't get another email i got a shout uh on uh from from a fellow singaporean a singaporean listener of the engadget podcast which is nice uh, thanking me for the correct pronunciation for the CEO of TikTok, which was uh, it's just really it's nice really you, you you all like getting getting very annoyed no. about it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We we yeah. Singaporean people are like, <laughs> is he a good representative? Of Has us? to be right. Is he? No. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so let's move on to our pop culture picks. What do you have this week? <laughs> so again, picks. This was always just engadget picks, not pop culture picks. Today, I don't have a pop culture. What, whatever, whatever, man. Yeah, yeah. What's your pick? No pop culture pick for y'all. Uh, so I don't, I think people who follow me on Instagram or Twitter know that I've been dealing with some like, you know, uh, mental health, self-esteem, whatever sort of issues lately. It's been hard and a good motivational Instagram post can really help. So today, <laughs> I am recommending, there's so many out there. You can follow whoever okay. you want. I've found uh, We The Urban, uh, the Instagram account We The Urban, 
to be kind of like nice, it's uh, got daily sort of affirmations. I don't know if you call them affirmations. They're just daily reminders. Uh, it's like nine things you need to, or maybe you, like, it's like someone needs to hear this today is the cover image or like nine things to know today. And then it will like give you some reminders of, you know, how to not to be too harsh on yourself or like, you know, value your own self. It's okay to put up, you know, boundaries if you need. It's really nice. Um, the graphics are also very aesthetic, uh, very clear, not too, it's just, you know, very straightforward, but you know, when the power of the message is the words, then it doesn't need to be too fancy schmancy. So I was actually going to talk about something else too, um, which I only thought about uh, last night. So uh, we don't have video for this necessarily. But there is this new um, series on Netflix called Well Mania. And it stars or it's it's from Celeste Barber, uh, who is known for her Instagram content making fun of celebrities. I think her Instagram <laughs> is hilarious. However... Uh, the series I have heard is cringe, cringe, cringe. So, um, yeah, that's sad. But there's I a fine line between uh, social media, like uh, you know, mastering it and true cringe. And yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a shame. So it, the the funny thing is that I came across this from because my gym, the, the gym I go to is F45. So F45 is an Australian thing. Celeste Barber is also Australian. So there was like a team up. So yesterday we were all. What in is class. F45? Can you explain this? What is going yeah. on? Because when you stands- and Matt Smith start talking about <laughs> fitness stuff, yeah. I'm like, what language are yeah. you speaking? What is yeah. going on? I know. Uh, F45 stands for functional 45. Basically, it's like um, 45 minute classes of whatever. Sometimes it's strength. Sometimes it's cardio. Sometimes it's hybrid. 45 minutes, um, man. Yeah. And okay. it's all circuits. It's all circuit based. So it's like three uh, three sets of 40 seconds on rest of 20 seconds in between. Or sometimes it's 55 second long sets. And those are terrible. Um, so then there's these big displays in front of the class and you look at, um, what to do and then you move station to station to station and the, the, the screens in front of the class uh, guide you, right? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what happened this week, right? Um, Wellmania uh, and Netflix teamed up with F45 to come up with this Wellmania-themed workout. And it was the weirdest thing because it was just Celeste Barber with the demo person showing how to work the exercise itself. And then she's like doing these like weird activities and she's like flailing about and whatever um, because she's making fun of people who work out, which is kind of weird, right? Why would you make fun of people who are working out during a workout class? But anyway, and then the class ended with a meditation and it was just her going breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. And then she falls asleep and we're like, I guess that's comedy, but it didn't. It fell flat. We're here to work. Um, We're here to work out. Yeah. What what yeah. what was intriguing to me, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, is that this it seems to be a new business model for at least F forty five. Can you imagine if Barry's boot camp or in theory they all started showing you these ads? It's while you they're were ads. Out. They're ads. They're they're yeah. partnered ads, basically. Yeah, they definitely had to have it. been paid by Netflix. So it's like okay uh, i guess that's the new way what if peloton Peloton was like during your treadmill workout here's uh Uh you know ding typhoon dumplings i don't know (laughs) i think r.i.p typhoon guy r.i.p yeah Yeah. um right like there's there's another avenue your your eyeballs are always good this sounds like hell sherlyn this sounds like i i sign up to do this one thing i have 45 minutes to to really empower myself and make myself strong and i get to watch a netflix ad for a stupid tiktoker show yeah and it was cr- i would be really furious cringe. oh yeah. my god mm-hmm. did they warn you or did they just start playing this we 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 knew something different was happening because the class name on our apps was and they locked all the it- doors yeah <laughs> well our trainers were there with us uh-huh. and they didn't you know they, they supported us through it all it <laughs> 
They should give it that class should be free. Like to be honest, if they're going to do that, yeah, that class should true. be free for that week. This is true. Um, this is okay. True. Anything else you want to mention, Sherlyn? I'm good. Sorry about that. It's okay. It's okay. That, that's good. I'm glad I asked about F45 because there are all these things I have to learn. I need to just like get out the house and be able to do yeah, a run. Helps. Like I just need to do things. Uh, anyway, yeah. let's talk about pop culture because I can at least sit mm. at night and yes. watch things. That's easier for me. I reviewed Apple's Tetris movie. Uh, the you know That's the reason we had that interview at the beginning of this episode. It's fine. I think it's fine, but it's messy and it's kind of... Um, I could see why a lot of the tech press and a lot of people are just like straight up trashing this movie because I think tonally it is all over the place. If you look at the um, trailer for it, it seems like a fun, you know, Soviet era spy romp about Tetris. And that's kind of what it was like getting the rights of Tetris. It was um, a game created by Alexei Pajitnov in uh, in the USSR, like in Moscow uh, at that time. And it was not easy to get stuff out of there. And this one guy, um, Hank Rogers, a Dutch Indonesian businessman who was based out of Japan. He's also known for, he was also known for making Japan's first like RPG is a thing. So this guy's really interesting. And I got to, you know, we talked with both of them. Uh, they're both like super, super like smart folks. Um, but Hank Rogers had to, he encountered the game during CES. And I was like, oh, you're just like us. You found a thing at CES and you got obsessed with it. And this was like CES, like in the mid eighties, the- you know? Okay, like I was mid, like, <laughs> far before your wow. time. Far okay, before. I was like, Tetris at CES? Okay. Tetris at CES. CES has been around for a while. But anyway, he licensed it from uh, from one company. And it turns out, um, <clears throat> after a certain amount of time, it turns out, like, the company he licensed it from, trying to get the name of it now, um, did not actually have um, the Spectrum Holobyte. Spectrum Holobyte initially thought it had the rights to tetris in in america he licensed that and turns out no and the person that sold holobyte those rights basically just had a fax from from like the soviet government saying yeah we will think about licensing it to you but it was not an agreement so this movie does kind of cover that and i think that part of it is kind of interesting uh because it involves like british billionaires who also like had certain rights to it and were one of the guys like um roger is it roger maxwell um roger maxwell or robert maxwell one of the maxwells um robert maxwell is a british billionaire and his like he was known for like I think stealing a bunch of money and his whole empire crumbled. But he went to Mikhail Gorbachev to finagle the the rights to Tetris. You know, at the same time that Hank Rogers was kind of managing it, it is a really interesting story. You know, it also involves uh, the debut of the of the Game Boy. There's a scene in this movie where Hank Rogers enters a room. He signs an NDA. Uh, somebody playing Howard Lincoln former you know nintendo of america president is there and they pull off a veil of something it's just a game boy connected to like a debug unit and it's like it just treated like this holy thing it's like they're approaching the holy grail and it's like yeah that is probably what the game boy was like if you first encountered it in the 80s so there are some things i kind of like about this and there's some like inherent drama here i just feel like this movie tries so hard to be like a spy thing too. Like there's a car chase. It is, there was never a car chase. There, there was like a Russian spy who was sort who was sort of like trying to romantically frame Hank Rogers. That never happened. We didn't need all this because the actual history is is kind of compelling on its own. This movie also tries too hard. There, there's like pixel graphics everywhere. Stylistically, I just, I feel like it just doesn't really settle on what it wants to be. But it is entertaining. 
And I think some people will be fine with it. Uh, there was one movie reviewer who had admitted in his review that he had never heard of Tetris before. Whoa, and I think what? the entire internet Even was I... like, who are you? Are you an alien all, from another planet? Be, yeah. Not to be ages, how old was this person? No, he's, he's an older guy. So Pete Hammond okay. from the hmm. from Deadline, um, his 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 subject line uh, or headline for this movie is Taron Edgerton is sensational in video game origin love, story yeah, that plays yeah. like a nail biting Cold War spy thriller. He admitted to never hearing about Tetris before, and I feel like a lot of people were just like, "Who are you? How is there a rock you live under? Is there <laughs> is there like a hyperbaric chamber that you just like emerge from to review movies once in a while, but never actually engage with any other culture? Tetris is a pretty big deal. I think this movie, at the very least, um, understands that Tetris is a big deal. Um, I just I think it could have been so much more. There are other things you could look at, and maybe you know my main takeaway is if this gets people more interested. And the broader impact of Tetris and what the game means. I I like Tetris. I've played a lot of Tetris. There's a BBC documentary called Tetris from Russia with Love. That is very, very good. Dan Ackerman, the CNET reporter, um, wrote a book called The Tetris Effect. And there's also a graphic novel called The Games People Play that I've heard really good things about. I've heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There are like so many other ways to engage with the Tetris origins. Um, I'm just sad that this movie didn't quite hit it. Um, I would have loved like a halt and catch fire style version of the Tetris story. And uh, that's a show for you, by the way, Shirlin. I don't know if you've watched any yet. Heard of it. I really like, yeah, I really like halt and catch fire. Get past that wonky first season because it gets really good. Um, But yeah, Tetris just doesn't really hit those marks. So there's that. Um, Also briefly, just want to mention Ted Lasso is back. I, I forget if we've mentioned it and shrinking the other show from the Ted Lasso creator. They're both on Apple TV plus they're both very, very good. And I would recommend um, shrinking to you, Sherlyn, because it's, it's entirely about uh, a therapist and kind of, I was going to talk to, about it this week yeah. too. And then I saw you What's had up? dropped it in. That's why I had to scramble to like find the Instagram. It's thing. okay. But yes, you're it's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're digging it. Yeah. Go on. I, I, yeah, you? no, it's it's been on my list. I've been putting off my Apple TV stuff, like especially Ted Lasso and Shrinking. I was going to watch it last night and talk about it today, but I can't because uh, it's uh, it's it's I had stuff I was doing. I told you I went to bed at three because I was still working. Uh, Julio still and our working. our Julio, our live stream producer, says that him and his wife uh, could not finish the season uh, after having that's given a, Shrinking a, a shot. I'm not, I'm not uh, gonna it's, give it might not be for here. everyone yeah. it's definitely something that I am interested in because it's about mm. drinking yes it's well it's, it's about therapists and sort of also the problems therapists themselves can have but also I, I think it's a very sweet show about friends helping each other like get past grief and a father trying to reconnect with their daughter it is it is compelling but it's more like a dramedy it's more like a comedy that is really dramatic at times sort of like Ted Lasso actually but it it doesn't have the sort of like the main character is not Ted Lasso, right? The main character is not this like super happy, um, really positive American guy. The main character is Jason Siegel, and he is he he's kind of a dumpy, <laughs> sad dude, which is a character As he, he plays quite plays, a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. as he usually <laughs> plays. Did you ever see Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Uh, yes, fairly recently too. I love that movie. I think it's one of the best like rom coms made in Bell. the last decade. It's very, very sweet. Um, so anyway, Ted Lasso and Shrinking, both very good. And I, I, I forgot to mention this, but John Wick Four is out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard Chulin, but our our boy, we've talked about him before. Donnie Yen plays a central yeah, role amazing. in John Wick Four, and he's so good. 
He is so good. It is so good to have Donnie on an American screen. He's 60 years old and he's still kicking ass. Love it. I I like that. There was a story I heard about him having had to convince the Star Wars uh, movie producers to (laughs) make his character less of a trope. And I thought that was really nice of him to stand up for that. Yeah. I love it. And also weird that uh, he is once again playing a blind uh, warrior. He's playing a blind assassin, John Wick 4. But they do so many good things with it. Uh, Guys, if, if you like action if you want like the greatest action experience of your life sherlin i think you'll appreciate this because you actually you like hong kong action movies too um this movie is like three hours long of pure bliss just pure okay. unadulterated oh my god i don't know how they did this uh somebody just fell down 200 stairs i don't know how any of this was made it is a beautiful film it's a wonderful film um and it's, it's practically perfect so yeah check out john wick for everybody Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at... At Davindra on Twitter, at Davindra at Mastodon.social on the Elephant site, and I podcast about movies and TV at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. If you need me, I am at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter, but today I will plug my Instagram because I might be less and less uh, active on Twitter, and my Instagram is just Sherlynstagram because I'm smart. Email us your thoughts at podcastandengadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Like, not choo-choo, that's a train. Um, Beep-beep, vroom-vroom.